Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the City Chatter Podcast. I'm John Bernstrom, Public Information Officer for the City of Grand Forks. This is episode 16. Hey, they've let us go through the council uh, two full times, so I appreciate that. And joining us this week uh, from Ward 7, Council Member Ken Veen. Ken, thank you for joining us. Very nice to be here. Yeah, you, you, I, it, it was okay the first time that you... It was okay to come back a second time? Yeah, I, I felt like could, with confidence, <laughs> come back and feel okay. What people don't realize is I've badgered Ken pretty hard at council meetings. Hey, when are you going to be here? When are you going to be around? Um, uh, Ken, let's get into it. Um, it's, some, it's, it's the new year, but very busy early on here in January. Um, as a council, you guys got a briefing from the consultants regarding bridges. And I'm just, I'm just using that plural, and I'm using that broadly. Um, can you talk about the, the, the briefing you got? One, this consultants, what, what are they hired for? It's not building the bridge. What, what is their purpose? Well, my understanding was obviously not to build a bridge. That hasn't been decided. But what is the process that you need to go through to actually go build the bridge, uh, continue the planning, build the bridge for the long term? Uh, this bridge isn't on the federal aid system, so it's a little different than the others that we've worked at. So the cities of uh, East Grand Forks, who actually took the lead on this, uh, worked with the city of Grand Forks and the two counties to look at, hey, let's figure out exactly how we can go about implementing this when the time comes. So there was an interesting thing during that briefing at the Committee of the Whole. Um, Minnesota has different rules than North Dakota. Sounds like more strict rules or, or just more rules in general. So if North Dakota doesn't have a rule, you follow Minnesota rules because they have a rule. Minnesota had a rule regarding bridges over rivers and floodplains that has been on the books, but they're now enforcing. Um, it caught me by surprise a little bit. Uh, tell me what you know about that, if anything. Well, not much because it caught me by surprise, too. I had never heard or seen anything uh, as such. You know, when we did the earlier bridge studies, whether it was any of the locations – uh, the cost for the higher bridges, which is what you'd have to have to not impede the 100-year flood plane, uh, was quite a bit more. And yes, so, significantly more. Yeah. yeah, and so that became an issue. And we had all this had primarily looked at keeping it at a lower level, not low, but lower than, than the 100-year. So I don't know what the implications are going to be. I don't know how variable, how much you can, can or not challenge that kind of thing, what the special circumstances are, but it has to be followed up on. Uh, it not knowing all the things you mentioned about that rule, if they're if they're hard fast on that rule, that almost forces it really forces a hand of pretty much only building bridges in rural. I'll use the term rural areas, but it's hard to build a bridge within a municipality with that rule. It it will be, and of course, it depends on the adjacent development. Right. So it's really not. It's until you start looking into it more thoroughly, you can't say not not or never. Um, but it will have implications, and that has to be incorporated into the plan. Sure. Um, also uh, on, the, on the agenda early on this year, uh, Epitome Energy, a soybean crushing plant looking to build in the northwest, north, up by our landfill, northwest of Grand Forks. You guys have gotten a preliminary look at a development agreement. Um, what, what, how, how do I say this? I was going to say, like, how do you feel about having gone through the development 
agreements now with a second project. Uh, are you more confident with it? Well, I think this one is much simpler. I think that's probably the, I, yeah, absolutely more confidence. It is much simpler. I have spent time going through that to try to uh, make sure that uh, we have a little bit of time to understand it and know what we can do if things and how things would change. Um, so I've I've done the, enough of a look. I've met internally with a number of staff to answer, see if they could answer my questions. I felt really comfortable with the answers. Um, we still have a, a ways to go before we know truly what all the costs and the financing is going to be. But there, uh, I think the development agreement is, from what I can see right now, uh, works as a win-win. And part of it with that agreement is, I, I think it's fair to say, there aren't answers to all the questions yet. It, part of it, uh, the development agreement is, this question is going to come up and we're going to need this answer, but we don't have that right now. True. Absolutely. And, you know... They need to have, as a developer, some idea that we're going to do it, and we, as a, as the owner, need to know that w- you know we may need more information. And it seemed like it came together pretty well. Sure, it's it's uh, one of those negotiations, right, where everyone gives a little, everyone gains a little, right? You yeah. know, when when you leave the table, when you leave the table, one side isn't saying, "Oh, we got one over on them." Everyone's just like, "Okay, that's fair." Yeah, I think we're I think we're being real fair. Perfect. Um, on also during that committee of the whole, there was. Uh, lots of conversations in multiple levels regarding um, dealings with the county, um, whether it's a, the county parking ramp or public health potentially looking at a new space to free up space for the county. Um, let, let's talk parking first. Uh, I believe you're the one that posed uh, – no, you posed this question with public health, but I think it, it's fair for both. Um, maintaining or moving into a space or building a new space, you know, which is cheaper? That's a hard one to answer a little bit because we're we're kind of dealing with some unknowns. Yeah, I mean, with with everyone, you got to look at life cycle costs. That's what I'm trying to look at. Certainly, you'll have significant in either case. You could have more or less initial costs, but then you got the long term operational costs that are going on. So you've got to be able to take a look at uh, at the total equation and be able to see it. I'm a, I'm a long-term person. I like to look at the entire life cycle. What are you going to do? How do you maintain it? What's going to be your average cost? You know, you're going to have replacement. You're going to have to look at all of that. And so when I like to compare, it's most important that you compare each one equally, both in some cases the do-nothing policy, which sure. has a cost to it, yep. and then the cost of doing something and what that's going to do. And, of course, there's growth and there's a lot of other factors that have to come together in that. So uh, it's it's not just an easily said and done. It, for me, I want to look at what that information and the facts look like. I, th- I think it's fair to say in both of these situations, whether it's parking with the county or, or public health, the do-nothing option is not necessarily the free option. <laughs> No, no, that, and that's really why you look at these things, because mm-hmm. the do-nothing has a cost to it that in long term isn't going to work right. for a number of reasons. So you always got to look at, but you do have to start, I believe, with the do-nothing, because that's, that really explains what the problem is. Because if you don't know what the problem is, how do you know you're solving it by doing something additional down the road? So look at that first and see what the implications are. Speaking of uh, looking forward, uh, doing it right now so it's maybe not as expensive down the road, uh, you guys got a briefing on indoor turf, aquatics, um, early on moving on that. Um, did I hear it right uh, at that committee of the whole that uh, potentially hiring two contractors because it's, it's almost two facilities in one? No, I, I'm, 
the way I looked at it is they would have one construction manager at risk. And really, a construction manager does that, manages it. They then go out typically with it's an at risk and will take the, bid, the designs from the, from the architect and they will bid out all the, the various pieces separately and, and bring them together with people who have the right expertise to, to do that. So we would have one contractor that would build it. Where I think I was looking at it is as you're in the design process, you may need to have two different people look at it from a cost perspective. Sure. Oftentimes you need to have the local person who knows the, the area, knows the mm-hmm. pricing, and then you need the help of an expertise expert who maybe has done these things, especially when you talk about pools and yeah. how you build a pool and what you need to have for the equipment that isn't the norm. And obviously the designer will be well mixed into that. So I, I, call, I like to look at things like this under a three-legged stool. You have the owner who's able to tell you what you want. You have the designer and you have the contractor. And, and the three of them together uh, work as a team to Im- build and implement the project. Is, is, I, I think as I'm speaking as citizen John Bernstrom here, not city employee, it's nice seeing this, you know, it's, it's been talked about. Uh, there was a vote, but, but it's, it's slowly, but it's continuing to move forward. And, and, and I think that's a good thing. Well, I think it's a good thing, too. I wouldn't say it's slow. I think it's moving together fairly quickly, and not, and not that that's wrong. It's, I'm amazed at, at all the work that's been done to date, all the data, all the planning that's, that's in place, and they're, work, they're working now about us to understand that plan and implement it so that we can get uh, this done sooner rather than later, especially with the concerns we have with aquatics. Well, and it's uh, the reason I said slow, and maybe that's the wrong term, is I've had a couple of phone calls. People are like, well, we passed the vote. Let's start, let's start digging. <laughs> I'm like, well, let's, let's figure out what this thing looks like first. Yeah, you've you got to make sure, first of all, we have the, uh, the plan right, and then we, we get in there and start doing concepts and look at the various concepts because expediting that doesn't actually bring value to you. You've got to make sure you know up front what you're doing. Sure. Um, you also, um, I, I, I would say you maybe have more expertise on this from a city council member standpoint than, than the average person. You got an update on uh, summer road construction. Yeah, you, you engineering background and whatnot, and and under being a city employee and work working, you know those long term plans. It looks like twenty twenty four is going to be a, a, another busy year. Uh, well, busy from a, busy, but good for people to know. There's not just willy nilly. There's there's lots of planning that goes into the summer work that we see around here. Yeah, you know, and the you know here where we live, you only got one season to do the work, and so you yeah. got to take advantage of it while you can. So yeah. Um, I thought it was a, a, a nice, thorough plan. There is going to be a lot of work in town, um, and uh, people are going to have to get used to it and get aware, be aware of where they are. 32nd is, is a big one that's going to be impacted. There's going to be down to you know one yep. lane in each direction. Columbia Road overpass is going to end up some of that, too. I think which, that's the, the bigger one. We only have so many over from north to south crossing those railroad tracks, and we're going to be working on two of them. Yeah, because the Washington Street underpass is the other one that, that's going to be bid. And so you're going to have both of those at the same time we're planning the third one, which is at 42nd. Yeah. So, yeah, all of that uh, is going to have some traffic implications, for, no doubt. We've had a few meetings now, uh, four months' worth about, in the new council chambers. How, how's the new digs doing for you? Oh, they're, doing, they're really great. I, I, really, I really enjoy that. Uh, I think it's been well designed. Uh, I was worried about you know levels of security. I sure. think that's been uh, addressed significantly, and, uh, and and just the layout is an easier way to interact with other council members and the public. 
I think it all came together really well. No, good, good. All right, Ken. Uh, if, if people aren't aware, you may see in the summertime Ken being on a motorcycle. Uh, every once in a while, Ken will come to a council meeting on a motorcycle. <laughs> so, uh, Ken, I pulled up some motorcycle facts that I, we'll, see, we'll see if you're aware of any of these. I'm not going to quiz you, but I thought some of these were interesting. And uh, so, first off, what type of motorcycle do you have? Well, I have multiple motorcycles, <laughs> <laughs> but I have a road bike and a dirt bike, so I do both. Okay, uh, motorcycle, the person who's credited with inventing the motorcycle was German in 1885, a German inventor. I'm not sure the purpose of it or what they, but they say the modern motorcycle, we'll we'll give the German inventor credit for that. Well, yeah, I mean, what they do is take a bicycle and put a motor on it. Put a motor, I know. And bicycles have been around for a long time, so it's probably... You got you know, credit for that. Once right. you get a motor, you got to get the right motor, you can make that work. There you go. The first Harley, um, 1903. Right. That was the first Harley. I have a 100th anniversary of uh, 2003. 2003. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm not sure if you're one you'd, you'd see on the highway going too fast or not, but uh, the known to be the fastest motorcycle. Now, I don't think this is one you can go just buy in a parking lot. I think this was custom-made. was a Dodge Tomahawk. It was a 10-cylinder going 350 miles an hour. That would be a little scary. (laughs) And this one I found interesting. Uh, uh, I associate, anyway, again, I'm not a motorcycle driver, but when I hear Kawasaki, I think of motorcycles, right? Mm -hmm. Evidently, they just started making motorcycles for a market, for marketing because of what they really did. They worked on government aerospace contracts. Huh. Didn't know that either. Nope. They said, nobody knows what we do. So when we, go to, when we go to people saying whether it's funding or trying to, they were like, what do you do? So they started making motorcycles so they can get their name on a map. Well, it worked. <laughs> it worked. Who, who would have thought that? Huh? Uh, Ken, thank you very much uh, for running down here. Um, a, a busy 2024 to start. You, know, you guys are really into it as a council. There is, and I, I actually talked to Todd Phelan today. If you look at the things that are on the agenda that we're doing, it's a lot of work, a lot of progressive things happening in the city, and we're all pretty proud of it. I've, I've mentioned this before, but uh, Mr. Phelan has said this. He said this to department heads. He said it to me. It's something he says. He goes, if we ever have a council meeting and there's nothing on the agenda, that's when we should get worried, not when we have a full agenda that takes three hours. All right. Ken, uh, thank you very much, uh, Ward 7 Council Member, and thank you for watching uh, the City Chatter Podcast. If you want to catch any of the past episodes, go to grandforksgov.com slash podcast, and you can see all of our previous episodes uh, going back. This was episode 16. So we'll, we'll continue now through the spring year in a very busy council season. Ken, thank you very much, and thank you for watching.